Good morning, America. It's Eric Erickson here. How are you? It is six after the hour, and we've got oh, we we're jam packed today. And no, I can't take your phone calls because my my call screener, who I had to fire on air yesterday as he drove past and listened to me fire him, decided to go to the beach. <laughs> we we didn't get a backup call screener. Yeah, well, he'll be back on Monday. Maybe I'll give him his job back. Um, so uh, you can't call. You can tweet me, E.W. Erickson. You can email me, Eric at the resurgent dot com. Uh, you can you can go on uh, with um, you you can go on social media, Instagram, Facebook. We live stream on on Facebook uh, or at theresurgent.com. You, you can find me all over the place. You can find ways to communicate. I can read your emails on here if, if they're pithy, short, and and not boring. Um, I I want to begin uh, by saying something that I have never said before. You know what, Philip? You 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 probably Philip, who who runs a lot of the online stuff uh, for me, is is my operations director. I'm I'm going to record this. He's not going to want to put it up. Well, I I try to not put partisan stuff on Instagram, and this is analysis. It's not partisanship, but it's going to be read as partisanship, uh, and and so you just need to know it. Um, he may have to put it up and turn the comments off. <laughs> I have not considered this tweeted this, said this, written this, thought this, or spoken in any way related to this. I'm about to say something I have not said, thought, tweeted, written, or anything. If the election for president of the United States were held today, Donald J. Trump would win re-election. We're at the end of both conventions. The president got a bounce from the Democratic Convention. The president of the United States, Donald Trump, got a bounce from the Democratic Convention. He had a well-organized Republican convention to the point that the New York Times is running hysterical stories now that, guys, the violence has to stop. Guys, the violence has to stop. Uh, Don Lemon is, is in hysterics on CNN saying, guys, stop burning buildings down. Uh, it, it does not help that Americans are beginning to feel shaken down. And it does not help that Joe Biden goes on television. Uh, specifically, he goes on MSNBC and he says uh, this. He just keep pouring fuel on the fire. He's encouraging this. He's not diminishing it at all. This is his America now. And you want to end where we are now. We've got to end his tenure as president. That sounds very much like uh, there. there is a growing consensus, I think, of voters who feel like um, – they are being shaken down by the Democrats, uh, that if you want to stop the violence, you got to vote for Joe Biden. And I think had it not gone on very long, Americans would have gone along with it. They, they would All they want to do is go to work. They want to get their kids back to school, uh, peacefulness and, and calm. And, and now the violence has gotten so out of hand in many Democratic cities. It, if you vote for Joe Biden at this point, it almost sounds like appeasement. It, it sounds like you're surrendering to the left. And that's going to make people mad. I don't think, and listen, I, I say this, and I understand Democrats, you're going to be, be trolling me and angry. You don't understand the bubble you're in. Orange man bad. You support Donald Trump. You're a racist. Only bigots support Donald Trump. Most Americans don't like Donald Trump, but they really do like the economy and they like their 401k. And those are doing pretty good under, under Donald Trump. 
most Americans do remember the Obama-Biden recovery and don't recall it being as good as it is with Donald Trump. Most Americans tend to credit the person in the White House or blame the person in the White House. And what the Democrats have done is they've overplayed their hand on the crime issue. They failed to address it for a week on stage. They absolutely failed to address it. The, uh, Joe Biden's response has otherwise been anemic uh, towards the violence and the He throws, oh, I, I condemn the violence that distracts from the protest. Increasingly, Americans are connecting the protests and the violence together. So if you say you condemn the riots but support the protests, what you're saying is you support the violence. And Democrats don't understand that. It's not fair. Let's acknowledge it's not fair. Peaceful protests are something people should be allowed to do. But most Americans no longer connect any of this to peaceful protests. They connect it to violence. And the Democrats don't understand that. They don't understand that they've thrown so much to blame at the president that none of it can stick. When you blame the president for everything, very much like the president grappled with trying to come up with a strategy against Joe Biden, they threw everything at the wall to see what it would stick and nothing stuck. The president has only been able to rebound now in the polling because of the violence and the riots and the Democrats' failure to address it aggressively. If the election were held today, the president would win. I've Go back to the Pew poll. Don't believe me. Go look at the Pew polling on what issues Americans care about. 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. Crime is not a top issue. It's now the number five issue, and the Republicans win on it. Gun control is the number seven issue, and a plurality of Americans agree with the Republicans on the gun issue now. Those are bad signs for the Democrats. Crime continues to go up in this country. In major American cities around the country, they have descended into lawlessness and chaos, and it looks like Democratic governors, until the polling got bad, egged it on. Americans are voting for their pocketbooks and their 401k and keeping their family safe. They believe Donald Trump would do a better job of helping their 401k. The Dow and the uh, S&P have rebounded. And they hear now Joe Biden wants to raise $4 trillion in taxes. He wants to impose the Green New Deal. And he's not standing up to the rioters. In fact, he's saying, hey, you want the rioters to stop burning your businesses? You got to vote for me. Americans do not like to be shaken down and they feel like they're in a shakedown right now. And that matters tremendously And if Democrats get a clue on this, they can turn this around very easily because people do like Joe Biden and they don't like Donald Trump. But they don't care whether they like the guy or not if he's making their 401k stable and he's going to keep them safe. And right now they're attributing safety and their 401k success to Donald Trump and not Joe Biden. Democrats have a real problem right now in that they and the media are in a bubble. And it is a small bubble. It is an echo chamber. They all agree with each other. And they think everyone agrees with them. And if you don't agree with them, you're a racist. They have failed to connect to middle America in the middle class. And they're even beginning to lose Hispanic voters and black men on this issue. They can keep black women. But if they lose black men and they're beginning to, And even the Biden team recognizes it. And they're not losing them in huge numbers, but enough numbers to shake up the polling. If they lose them, they're starting to do a break of the Democratic Party coalition, not the Republican coalition. It is the Democrats beginning to add to the Republican coalition. The Republicans are doing nothing on their own. Republicans themselves are fairly incompetent right now at at gaining uh, voters to their coalition. Now, if you're in a Republican bubble, you don't agree with me on that, I realize, but it's true. You're getting voters not because of what you're doing. You're getting voters because of what the Democrats are doing. This is on the Democrats right now. And what the Democrats would rather do is say Russia is stealing the election 
nation than come to grips with how out of touch they've gotten with the American people. If they can't turn it around, if they can't realize just how out of touch they've gotten and just how fearful Americans have become of the rioters and Antifa, uh, they're going to have problems. It does not help that you have people like Chris Cuomo on CNN saying Antifa is actually a good organization. It does not help that the Democrats and the media go out and stand in front of burning buildings and say they're mostly peaceful protests. It does not help that you have the Democrats in Congress refusing to advance any sort of police reform, even though they agree with the Republicans on 80% of it. It does not help that the Democrats went back to Washington to bail out the post office and not the working class with a stimulus package. These things do not help the Democrats, and they have presumed that if they could hold the American people hostage to the situation, voters would vote for them and reject the Republicans. It's not turning out that way. But the feedback loop for the Democrats is incentives based within the media to praise their aggressive fighting against the president. The Democratic base and the media shames the Democrats for daring to try to compromise with the president. And the result is that they've drawn these hard, bright lines uh, that the Republicans cannot get across to be able to compromise with the Democrats and do things for the American public. And the Democrats are blaming the Republicans for not coming to them when the president is a Republican and the Democrats don't want to go to him. And the media cheers on the Democrats for this recalcitrance. The the media does not blame the Democrats for a failure to get an unemployment bill through, even though the Republicans would have voted for it. The Democrats instead decided to advance a postal bill that isn't going to make it through the Senate. They are screwing this up. It has nothing to do with the Republicans. And you know, right now, the Republicans can be very much like Joe Biden was several months ago and do nothing. Stay home. Keep their mouth shut. Uh, why Why do the Republicans need to do anything when the Democrats are, are costing themselves the election? And they really are. And again, if you're a Democrat, you're mad at me for saying you're, you're losing right now, but you are. And if you're a Republican, you're mad at me for saying it's the Democrats who are losing it, not the Republicans winning it. But this is all on the Democrats right now. They had a week spread across the country on Zoom calls with every celebrity in America, NBA stars, former presidents and the like, to condemn the rioting and violence in explicit terms. And they chose not to. It has now been exploited this week by the Republicans in Washington and Charlotte, and they're using it to great advantage. And now when the vice president, former vice president, comes out, he sounds like he's part of the shakedown, saying, if you want to end this, you've got to vote for me. That, that sounds like the Democrats and the Biden supporters burning down buildings are working together. And they're not. Let's be clear here. They are not. There is not a coordinated Democrat campaign to burn down America to try to force Americans to vote for Joe Biden. That's not happening. But it becomes increasingly difficult to blame voters for thinking that when you see that it is people who support the left and Joe Biden who are doing the rioting. It is Democratic mayors who are letting it happen. It is Democratic governors who have kept their mouths shut for two months until the polling shifted. It is the Democratic vice Democratic presidential nominee who kept his mouth shut until the polling began to change and even now can't do it forcefully. Uh, what, what, what Joe Biden needs to do if he wants to win is he needs to have his sister soldier moment. He needs to come out and forcefully condemn the riots and the violence. And at this point, Joe Biden needs to be so bold as to say it's time for the protests to stop. That the protests need to protest by voting. 
the protests need to protest by getting involved and helping him. And the protests need to protest by throwing Donald Trump out of office, not by shaking down American cities, not by burning down American cities, and not by continuing to do what they're doing. But he's not going to do that because if he does that, the media will turn against him, the left will turn against him, and Joe Biden, as much as Americans feel held hostage right now, Joe Biden is a hostage of the situation. That is just the reality of it. He's got to have progressive activists mobilized to vote for him, and right now they're only voting for him out of their antagonism and hatred of Donald Trump. And if they turn their fire towards Joe Biden, it's going to be bad for him. The Democrats have put themselves in this position. It has nothing to do with what Republicans have done or not done. Democrats have boxed themselves in. And they've done this in large part because they are in a bubble with its own feedback loop that told them it was all Donald Trump's fault and everybody hated Donald Trump just like them. And Donald Trump is egging all of this stuff on. And the American people simply don't agree with that. They don't agree with it. And now, if the election were held today, Donald Trump probably would lose the popular vote, but he would become the first president in American history to win a second term by losing the popular vote twice and still winning the Electoral College. That, my friends, is happening right now. Good news for the Democrats. The election's more than 60 days away, but only barely. News and in-depth analysis from Eric Erickson, live five days a week and always online at theresurgent.com. I'm here. Sorry, I was on Instagram. (laughs) This hour of the program today is brought to you by True Precision. Everybody at this point is buying concealed carry. If you want to make your stand out, go to True Precision. Um, You know, in fact, let me let me go to their website right now. True-precision.com is their website. And yeah, man, y'all y'all need to go check out True Precision. If you got a Glock, Sig, uh, M and P. You, you, those are those are the brands they work with right now, um, and you can get slides, you can get barrels, uh, you can get triggers, and they're awesome. Uh, I know they're awesome because I myself have bought them. Uh, I have a True Precision uh, gun. They modified my uh, Glock 43X, and it is gorgeous. It stands out from the crowd. It's got a camo slide. It's got upgraded sights, y'all. It is a it's a gorgeous gun, and I got it thanks to True Precision. If you go to true-precision.com, by the way, they're in Ackworth, Georgia. Uh, so if you're in Georgia, uh, you can check them out. They're local. I got my Glock 43X, and it, I I picked out the slide. I picked out the barrel. I, I picked out the sights. It is it's. I, I'm gonna upgrade the trigger too because they've got new triggers as well. Um, and they just do a marvelous job. It, gorgeous, gorgeous guns. You you take this sucker. You know, I I, I mean, when 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 the Antifa member kicks in your front door, the last thing they're gonna say is, "Wow, where'd you get that?" <laughs> I, I just listen. You you gotta have a concealed carry gun at this point in America because uh, the Democrats have decided they're gonna win by by violence. Uh, you you might as well have one that looks good. And it really is a work of art. Go to true-precision.com. If you, you can buy their barrels and slides and stuff online, by the way. And if you buy them and at checkout, put my name in as your checkout code, E-R-I-C-K, you'll get 10% off. They are good people. uh, And they make a a heck of a great product. Uh, Really, really do like them. Uh, Now, we've we've got to, we got to deal more with the, what happened. Because I don't think that the Democrats 
truly, genuinely understand the position that they're in right now. And I, I need you to understand that before I look, I'm going to get into the speeches. We're going to play a lot of audio. Part of the reason we're going to play a lot of audio is because I am exhausted after this week. I can't take your calls today because uh, the, the call screener is on vacation and I just I, I need to let the president speak that speech, though. I thought I, I, I finally went to bed. I got back up and saw some of the fireworks. Uh, they couldn't do the balloon drop, so they had the fireworks, but he would not stop talking. In fact, a buddy of mine this morning uh, actually texted me and said, just want you to know, he's still speaking. <laughs> I, I It wouldn't have surprised me. It, would not have, the, the, he, it went on. The, the speech was too long. It was too long, but it was a good speech. And I, I've got to tell you, um, it, the left is playing into this. So l- let me give you one more one more detail here before we actually move directly into the speeches and the sound bites I've got for you. The sports ball teams, basketball, hockey. Is there something called the WNBA? Uh, in, in, in any event, it's apparently a sport league. They decided, they decided to stop playing yesterday. They weren't going to play. And so there were no sports on TV. So do you know what everybody got to watch? Do you know what everybody got to see? Because there was nothing else to watch. You might as well go for the spectacle of it because there's nothing else on TV. We have spent the last four years reversing the damage Joe Biden inflicted over the last 47 years. Biden's record is a shameful roll call of the most catastrophic betrayals and blunders in our lifetime. He has spent... There you go. Uh, Yes, the, the... Everybody got to watch it because they couldn't watch a basketball game. They couldn't tune out. Basketball has become so political. Sports teams, people have turned to this stuff. And and listen, here's the thing. I, I was actually on an on a I did a radio uh, roundtable before the show started, and one of the other folks on it, also named Eric, made a great point. Who do you think's going to win? The guy who goes to the Big Ten states and says, "Y'all should be able to play football right now." Or the guy who's going to go to those states and say, yeah, sure, I'm glad y'all aren't playing football. I mean, if 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 the roles were reversed, who would you vote for? In all honesty, who would you vote for? The roles are reversed, and Joe Biden comes to Georgia and makes campaign stops all over the state and says the dogs need to play, tech needs to play, the SEC needs to play football. What well, what would you what what would you think? Well, the roles are the incumbent president of the United States is is going around the country saying, y'all play ball. And it's the Democrats saying, no, stay in your homes. I mean, Joe Biden is actually out there saying he would shut down the country again. This is a problem that the Democrats don't understand. They're in a bubble. They are way more in a bubble than Republicans right now. And it is a, a feedback loop with the Democrats in such a way that is beginning to harm them in the polls. And the media tells the Democrats they're right, and they believe it. And because they believe it, 
they keep echoing it. And it's no longer resonating with the American public. The Democrats are losing. The Republicans are not winning. That's a big difference here. But they're going to start getting more hysterical because of it. And I don't think the Democrats can control the hysteria. And as a result, it's just going to continue to amplify reasons for people to reject them and go with Donald Trump. They've got 60 days, less than 60 days because early voting, to figure this thing out. And I don't think they're going to. I think Donald Trump's going to win. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Let's get into some of the speeches, huh? Um, I, I Look, I think that the first night of the convention was the best night of the convention. And I think it kind of uh, descended down from there. But I, I, I think it was good. I think they did a good job with the opportunity, with the photo ops, with everything. I think they did a good one. Um, and I want to play, let's see, I'm, I'm actually trying because I don't, I'm not really happy with the clip. Um, but this is a, I, I think this is a good message. Uh, and it was a good speech and, and I'm sympathetic to it as well, just because I'm, I'm, I like Tom Cotton and I actually want to play his speech. Uh, for everybody, because I don't, I guess, you know, his speech did get covered somewhat in prime time, but you got to remember, so Bob Gates, who is the former Secretary of Defense for both George W. Bush and Barack Obama, at one point very famously said, Joe Biden has been wrong about every major foreign policy decision uh, in his his lifetime, or, or some such. And it's a powerful line, and Tom Cotton decided to build on that theme at the Republican convention last night. And I think, particularly when it comes to dealing with China, people need to hear this and remember it. Good evening. I'm Senator Tom Cotton. A lot's changed in four years. Back then, we gathered in a rowdy arena. Tonight, you're probably at home, while I stand alone. Stands alone. That was the motto of my old army unit, the 506th Infantry, the original band of brothers. From the Normandy beaches to the Iraqi desert, we fought alongside each other, but we were always prepared to stand alone. And so it is with our nation. We lead the free world, but we'll stand alone if we must to defend America. Donald Trump understands this. He puts America first. That's why America is safer now than four years ago. But Joe Biden would return us to a weak and dangerous past. Barack Obama's own Secretary of Defense said Joe Biden has been wrong on nearly every major national security decision over the past four decades. So let's compare the records of Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Joe Biden slashed defense spending again and again President Trump rebuilt our military and added the Space Force. Joe Biden let ISIS terrorists rampage across the Middle East. President Trump eliminated ISIS's leader and destroyed its caliphate. Joe Biden opposed the mission to kill Osama bin Laden. President Trump avenged the murder of hundreds of Americans by killing Iran's terrorist mastermind, Qasem Soleimani. Joe Biden sent pallets of cash to the Ayatollahs. 
President Trump ripped up the dangerous Iran nuclear deal. Joe Biden treated Israel like a nuisance. President Trump moved our embassy to Jerusalem and brokered peace deals in the Middle East. Joe Biden coddled socialist dictators in Cuba and Venezuela. President Trump fights against communism in America's backyard and around the world. And on the Communist Party of China, there is no comparison. Joe Biden aided and abetted China's rise for 50 years with terrible trade deals that closed our factories and laid off our workers. President Trump stands up to China's cheating and stealing and lying. Joe Biden allowed Chinese fentanyl to flood across our southern border. President Trump sanctioned Chinese drug dealers for poisoning our kids. Joe Biden said Chinese communists aren't even our competitor, aren't bad folks. Just months before they unleashed this plague on the world, President Trump is clear-eyed about the Chinese threat and he is making China pay. But China's not giving up. In fact, all right, uh, you, you get the sense of that from Tom Cotton uh, going after Joe Biden on foreign policy. That was his introduction. Last night was the foreign policy night uh, with the introduction of the president there. And I thought that was this, a, a really good speech, but it was not the most powerful speech. There were two speeches that I thought were fundamentally incredible. One was the parents of Kayla Mueller killed by ISIS. And the other was the lady the president pardoned. And I, I want to play the entirety of her speech in the next hour. Um, but I want to play right now this soundbite of those parents. She went to Turkey to help Syrian refugees in 2012. In August 2013, she was asked by another aid worker to the border into Syria to help at a hospital. On August 4, 2013, ISIS terrorists stopped her vehicle and took her captive. Kayla was mostly held in a 12 by 12 cell in solitary confinement. It was cold and dirty. ISIS terrorists shined bright lights in her face. They shaved her head. They beat her and tortured her. The leader of ISIS, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, raped her repeatedly. For 18 months, she endured, and we endured an agonizing back and forth between us, the Obama administration, and ISIS. We put all our faith in the government, but the government let us down. President Obama refused to meet with us until ISIS had already beheaded other Americans. To this day, we've never heard from Joe Biden. Instead, the Obama administration had hid behind policy so much that we felt hopeless when they kept us from negotiating to save Kayla's life. The administration showed more concern for the terrorists in Guantanamo than the American hostages in Syria. The military prepared a rescue mission, but the White House delayed it. By the time it went forward, Kayla had been moved to another location. After 18 months of brutal torture, we learned from ISIS that Kayla had been killed. The Obama administration kept telling us they were doing everything they could, but their version of everything wasn't enough. 
What a difference a president makes. Under President Trump, U.S. Army Special Operators conducted a raid on al-Baghdadi's compound. After we learned that al-Baghdadi was killed, we learned something else. The operators named themselves Task Force 814 after August 14th, Kayla's birthday. And the mission was named Operation Kayla Mueller. To those soldiers, thank you. Kayla was looking down on you. The Trump team gave us empathy we never received from the Obama administration. That was powerful. It was a strong moment. I fundamentally believe most Americans don't watch. And I fundamentally believe most Americans will never see that. And I fundamentally believe most Americans are not impacted by the conventions. But enough are to make a difference. More importantly, it's not that people watched it or saw it or heard it. It's that their friends will share it with them on Facebook or social media or in their email. And so the message will extend out, uh, will ripple out. And I definitely think we're going to see an impact from these things. Here's Jake Tapper. There has been a completely filtered President Trump. We have seen the world through his eyes uh, and through the eyes of his advisors. He has not really spoken extemporaneously. There were some ad libs this evening in his speech, but he pretty much kept to the teleprompter. The other times we've seen him during this week, he has been on tape or he has been quiet uh, when it came to the speeches of Vice President Pence and First Lady Melania Trump. That is the Trump that White House officials and campaign officials wish they had all the time. One who is not sending tweets that upset people. One who is not making comments that upset people when lives. Uh, And I think it's important to note that I do expect that there might be some sort of narrowing in the polls after this unfiltered, after this rather filtered week. But we still have many days to go and we'll see if the president is able to stay as disciplined. Yeah. As disciplined, will he be able to stay as disciplined? That's the concern, and that's the thing you need to understand. I think the polling narrows. The question is, how far does it narrow? I I, I do think there's an electoral college advantage for the president at this point. He would win. But will it last? Because one tweet from this president can sabotage his messaging. The GOP, however, is, is beginning to push forward Uh, a series of messages related to the violence in the streets. This is, this is, hang on a second, before we queue up the audio, this is uh, Ayanna Presley, uh, the squad member from Congress. Listen to her. To the public, you know, this is as much about public outcry and organizing and mobilizing and applying pressure so that this GOP-led Senate and that these governors that continue to carry water for this administration, putting the American people in, in harm's way, um, turning a deaf ear to the needs of our families and our communities, hold them accountable. Well, hold them accountable, she says. Hold them accountable. Uh, yeah, here's Nancy Pelosi uh, talking from 2018. We had um, a hearing on. Uh, a subject related to this asylum seeker, refugees, etc. Uh, the American, the Association of Evangelicals, the Evangelicals testified 
that asylum, refugees and asylum, that is the, they called it the crown jewel of America's humanitarianism. Crown jewel of American humanitarianism. And in order to do away with that crown jewel, they're doing away with the children being with their moms. This is, I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. Don't know why there aren't uprisings. Maybe there will be uprisings all over the country. Look, this is the RNC pushing this stuff out. And remember, it was Maxine Waters who told people, if you see anybody from the cabinet uh, going to a restaurant or a department store or gas station, get out, create a crowd, push back, tell them they're not welcome there. Uh, This comes, uh, the Republicans pushing all this out after Rand Paul was surrounded by Black Lives Matter protesters last night. It is really telling in Wisconsin that support for Black Lives Matter went up 20 points after George Floyd and is now down two points from where it was before George Floyd from up 20 to negative two percentage points. Not, not it, it, they're not pulling negative two. They've gone down from where they were by two points. Now people, the Democrats are overplaying their hands on this. The left are overplaying their hands on this and, and they can't really speak up now. Can you, they, can you imagine what the crowd would do if these people came out? at this point, and said, you got to stop. Uh, Listen to Ibishiel Sindor, the the PBS reporter, who was talking, I think she was talking on PBS last night. And I think part of the reason why we're seeing this large protest, including, of course, the biggest sports protest, the biggest sports boycott that we've seen in a generation, is in part because the RNC is really drumming this beat of law and order, talking about the fact that we need to support the police as a country, um, really not talking very much about the systemic racism that we see all over the country, not saying the plain facts, which are that African-Americans are some two and a half to three times more likely to be killed by the police than white people. I think Doc Rivers, he's of course an NBA coach, said it best when he said something like this. He said, it's amazing that African Americans keep loving this country when this country does not love us back. And it's interesting to also hear the White House really push back on the protest, specifically by NBA players. Yes, they've just voted um, in the last few hours to resume their playoffs this weekend, but they were boycotting major games. And we, we heard Jared Kushner say that they have the luxury to take off work when really it's not a luxury in their mind. It's, it's because they're protesting the fact that as black men, they feel like they're being criminalized and they're really, really fearful of the way that police are treating African-Americans. And we also saw the vice president, um, the vice president's chief of staff, Mark Short, say that this is really outrageous and silly by NBA players to protest and to really call up and, and to talk about police brutality. Yeah, I just I don't think this is I don't think this is playing well anymore. And they're so in the bubble. One more clip. Uh, well, no, I don't want to play this clip because uh, because it's, it's not a direct clip. Uh, but Kristen Kirsten Powers on CNN saying there's actually very little rioting around the country. Y'all perception is reality in politics. The NBA canceling uh, their games uh, did not go over well, is is perceived badly. Uh, Saying there's very little rioting in the country is perceived as denial. Uh, Factually, it may be true, except it's just every major urban corridor in the country has been experiencing them, uh, and and crime is going through the roof. New York City has had a 20% increase in crime. Atlanta has had a massive increase in crime. Every major city in America has in the last couple of months. And, and Americans, you can say, well, this is happening in Donald Trump's America, except people understand it's happening in Democrat-controlled cities, and it's Joe Biden supporters who are doing it. They understand that. And the Democrats don't seem to get that, and that's why 
you're starting to see the president trend upward in the polling and why you're starting to see uh, the president have an electoral college advantage right now. The, the Democrats are in denial about what's going on, and they're so held hostage by their base, they can't turn the corner on it. That's going to come back and get them in the election. News and in-depth analysis from Eric Erickson, live five days a week and always online at theresurgent.com. I want to spend a moment on COVID-19 data. We haven't talked a ton about the virus of late, uh, but there actually is really good news in Georgia. The media continues to not talk about it unless there's bad news, which is notable in and of itself. Uh, But the trend lines in Georgia continue to be good. Uh, The seven-day moving average has continued to decline in the date of test reporting. And in the date of onset, uh, the numbers are are continuing to go down. With the seven-day moving average, we're at 2,070 cases. You've got to go to roughly now June 23rd to get back to that level. Um, in, In addition to that, even as schools are reopening, and this is very important, we're not seeing massive spikes as schools reopen. Uh, And it doesn't just appear to be social distancing. There is more and more data shaping up that perhaps we're getting herd immunity in the country at a lower level of immunity than than we thought, at a lower um, infection rate than we thought. Normally, you have to have 60 to 80% of the country infected or of an area infected uh, to get herd immunity. But, you know, there's been this evidence now for a while that uh, our T cells, something I don't quite understand, but, but, People have T cells and that um, there, there is in some capacity people are not uh, they're, they're not getting the virus now at, at rates that they had been. Uh, I am I, I'm just I, I'm interested in what's happening with the virus and there really does appear to be some good news out there uh, with the virus and where we are as a country and where we are as a, in the state of Georgia even as schools go back. Now, we, we haven't seen situations, UGA and the like, and college sports and all, and I suspect that there's going to be this big uh, playing up of the situation. And we just, we, we got we, we, we to gotta be vigilant. We got to continue social distance. We got to wear masks, uh, but we're, we're looking more and more. We're looking more and more like we're headed in the perfect direction. And... I just I I think we should be applauding this. I I think we need to uh, be excited that the state seems to be headed in a direction that is trending downward. Even as schools reopen, we're continuing to see this downward trend. We're continuing to see this downward trend, even as people start to go back in some way with a level of comfort. Uh, in going out and about and hanging out at bars and restaurants. I was at an event last night, as a matter of fact, uh, where I uh, was with a, a crowd of people. We met outside. We wore masks in close contact. Now, I took off my mask when I was speaking into a microphone uh, at the front of the room uh, or at the front of the, the rooftop uh, where I was, but uh, people are still behaving responsibly. People are starting to let their guard down a little bit, but we're not seeing a resurgence in the virus nonetheless. And that's good. We, I, again, I, I highlight this. I'm tired of talking about the virus. And I do, by the way, think that plays into um, the collapse in the polling for the Democrats right now as well. And I, I'll spend a little more time on that when we come back. But I just, I, I really wanted to focus on the fact that there is good news. 
And we don't get enough good news right now with the virus. We The media wants to highlight the bad. They don't want to highlight the good. This is kind of the way the media does most things, which I understand. But I also understand that Americans need to hear some good news on this. And I do increasingly believe part of the pessimism from the media has a lot to do with 2020 and their views of the president. And that they don't want to share good news. They want to amplify bad news in an intentional play to help the Democrats. I I increasingly think this is true. The the reaction last night uh, to the crowd at the White House, not uh, wearing masks, there was a, a general meltdown from commentators in the news about people being crowded onto the White House lawn without masks. It, it should be a concern, and some people did wear masks. It, it very much should, but, you know, we, we can't find transmission, and this is key here. We cannot find data on transmission from outdoor activities. Riots being accepted. There is data from, from the riots, people being so wedged in together for so long, marching in the streets. But from stuff like that, we, we just, we don't have evidence. And the media is melting down over it. I just think that there's good news. We're headed in the right direction. We should celebrate it. When we come back, I want to play the speech. And I want to play it in its entirety. I want to play the speech of the lady who was pardoned by the president. That was the most compelling moment of the Republican convention. And they need to turn it into ads. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is, well, does it matter? You can't call in today. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you weren't here in the first hour, we'll work through this for the next two. Don't pass out when I say this. I have it, said it, thought it, written it, tweeted it until today. I think if the election were held today, the president would win re-election. Uh, this is not the high coming off the the convention, as as some people after the first hour said. No, it, it actually is a couple of things. One, the president got a bounce from the Democratic convention. Two, the president did have a very well-orchestrated convention of his own. Three, the American public is furious with what's happening in major cities right now. Rioting in Kenosha, Wisconsin that people don't like that. We'll get into all of that, but but I want to start here. Um, y'all, this was the most powerful moment of the four nights of the Republican convention, and I want to play this in its entirety. I, I want you to hear every word of this woman who went to prison because of the crime bill that Joe Biden authored. And she was released because of President Trump. And if the GOP does not turn this into ads targeting black voters, they are committing malpractice. Good evening. I'm Alice Marie Johnson. I was once told that the only way I would ever be reunited with my family would be as a corpse. But by the grace of God and the compassion of President Donald John Trump, I stand before you tonight and I assure you, I'm not a ghost. I am alive, I am well, and most importantly, I am free. 
1996, I began serving time in prison, life plus 25 years. I had never been in trouble. I was a first-time nonviolent offender. What I did was wrong. I made decisions that I regret. Some say, you do the crime, you do the time. However, that time should be fair and just. We've all made mistakes. None of us want to be defined forever based on our worst decision. While in prison, I became a playwright, a mentor, a certified hospice volunteer, an ordained minister, and received the Special Olympics Event Coordinator of the Year Award for my work with disabled women. Because the only thing worse than unjustly imprisoning my body is trying to imprison my mind. My transformation was described as extraordinary. Truth is, there are thousands of people just like me who deserve the opportunity to come home. I never stop fighting for my freedom. My Christian faith and the prayers of so many kept hope alive. When President Trump heard about me, about the injustice of my story, he saw me as a person. He had compassion and he acted. Free in body thanks to President Trump, but free in mind thanks to the almighty God. I couldn't believe it. I always remembered that God knew my name, even in my darkest hour, but I never thought a president would. When I was released on June 6, 2018, I ran across that road and hugged my grandchildren for the first time. I'll never forget that feeling. And then I remembered the promise I had made to the men and women I left behind, that I would never stop fighting for them, and I haven't. I'm using my voice to tell their stories, and I pray that my face reminds you of those forgotten faces. Six months after President Trump granted me a second chance, he signed the First Step Act into law. It was real justice reform, and it brought joy, hope, and freedom to thousands of well-deserving people. I hollered, hallelujah! My faith in justice and mercy was rewarded. Imagine getting to hug your loved ones again and to think this first step meant so much to so many. I can't wait because we're just getting started. The nearly 22 years I spent in prison were not wasted. God had a purpose and a plan for my life. I was not delayed or denied. I was destined for such a time as this. I pray that you will not just hear this message, but that you will be inspired by my story and your compassion will lead you to take action for those who are forgotten. That's what our president, Donald Trump, did for me. And for that, I will be forever grateful. 
God bless you. God bless President Trump. And God bless America. Y'all, I'm telling you, that was the most powerful moment of this entire convention. That woman has a story to tell and tells it well. And the Republicans will be committing malpractice, malpractice, if they do not uh, take that ad or take that speech and turn it into ads or take her and have her run ads. I mean, the Democrats are already starting to to uh, worry about the president's impact with black men. They could get some black women, too, on this. This is These are important themes for the Republicans to keep hitting on because they do need to build more of a coalition. And it would be rather ironic if they were able to build up that coalition uh, with uh, black voters from the Democratic Party. And they're headed in the right direction with this. I, I don't, I, I listen, I was skeptical. Let's be honest. I didn't think they were going to devote the time to actually do it. They said they would. They said they would. I, I didn't really believe them. But they are, and they're 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 doing a bang up job of it. Frankly, uh, the the entire convention is packaged in such was packaged in such a way to make that case to voters who may like the president's policies but don't like the president. And this is the thing that I think people are missing. This is the thing I think the Democrats don't appreciate. Voters are happy to vote for someone they do not like if they see tangible benefit from him, and they are right now. The Dow Jones has rebounded. The NASDAQ has rebounded. The S&P 500 has rebounded. Your 401k has recovered. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's supporters are burning down America. You may not like me phrasing it that way, but that's the reality. And, and then there's the virus. I want to spend a moment here, not on the virus per se, but I need to make a point here. I want to play for you a clip from Joe Biden. And this, this, this line from the Democrats is actually something that I take serious issue with, and I think most voters do as well. By the way, if, if you notice the last four, the four four years before, we we created more jobs in the last three years than he's created so far. Number one, so he inherited like like that old phrase goes: everything he's inherited, he screwed up. You know, he screwed up the economy so badly. For the last four years, we weren't having riots, racial riots. When when they occurred, we didn't call have to call on the national. We protected federal property without hurting people. We moved in a direction that made sense. We and we had we were working with police and dealing with look the vast majority of police are decent honorable women and men, but we have to deal with the real problems that exist out there and take them on. And so you know I, I I'm not sure I mean he just he is he's a, a fiction writer in the extreme. Say whatever you want about Donald Trump. Seriously, say whatever you want about Donald Trump. The reality is that you can't blame him for the collapse of the economy. There is this thing called a virus. It is from China, and it's spread in communities, forcing us to shut down, and that cratered the economy. And the economy has been rebounding. And you can't blame Donald Trump for that. But not only can you not blame Donald Trump for that, but the lowest unemployment 
the highest employment rate for black and Hispanic Americans came not when Barack Obama was in the White House, but when Donald Trump was in the White House. Now, I, I, I need to say something overarching here. I do not believe that the president deserves credit or blame for the economy uh, by and large. There are actually very few things any president can do to hurt or grow the economy. Uh, but the president, the reality is the president of the United States gets the credit or the blame when the economy is doing well or doing bad. That is just the reality. You can hate it you, like I do. I think it's ridiculous. But that is the reality in which we live. Presidents of the United States get the credit or the blame for the economy. But Americans, poll after poll has rather consistently shown, don't blame President Trump for this economic downturn because they recognize it's the virus. And the Democrats are talking about it in such a way that it almost makes them sound like they're weaponizing for partisan sake the spread of the virus and the related collapse of the economy. It was the Democrats who were the most vocal about shutting the place down. In fact, Joe Biden himself has said that he would shut the place down. I would be prepared to do whatever it takes to save lives because we cannot get the country moving until we control the virus. That is the fundamental flaw of this administration's thinking to begin with. In order to keep the country running and moving and the economy growing and people employed, you have to fix the virus. You have to deal with the virus. So if the scientists say shut it down, I would shut it down. I would listen to the scientists. He would shut it down. That clip's going to come up over and over and over. And it's going to matter to voters. And there's a lot between now and November that the White House can do. Listen, voters are only now beginning to pay attention. It's right around Labor Day. That's when you start to see big shakeups and polling trends. And I, I, I genuinely think we're going to see the, the shakeup and polling trends happen. I, I really do believe that. I, I think that the president of the United States is close, and I have talked to enough people who are pollsters who tell me that it used to be if they were within three points, it was too close to call. They now believe it's within five points, it's too close to call. And I definitely think there's something happening on the ground with the violence and the riots. I, I believe that this will favorably impact the president. Uh, the stories that the Republicans are telling matter greatly. It was a violent night in St. Louis. Four officers were shot. Others were hit with rocks and fireworks. At least five businesses were damaged, looted, or set on fire. As the officer wellness coordinator and CIT coordinator with the police department, I was keenly aware of their rioting and spent the evening getting ready to mobilize support for officers who were impacted. After I'd gone to bed, David received a call from Lee's Alarm Company. The front door of the pawn shop had been breached. This time he didn't wake me up to tell me. He probably knew I would have tried to stop him or insist on going with him. As I slept, looters were ransacking the shop. They shot and killed David in cold blood and then live streamed his execution and his last moments on earth. David's grandson was watching the video on Facebook in real time, not realizing he was watching his own grandfather dying on the sidewalk. I learned of all this around 4 a.m. when our doorbell rang. The chief of police was standing outside. I wondered why Dave had not answered the door. 
but it wasn't uncommon for him to be up watching TV at this time. I called out to him several times. There was no reply. He just wasn't there. I let in the chief, and fighting back tears, he uttered the words, every officer's spouse dreads. I relive that horror in my mind every single day. My hope is that having you relive it with me now will help shake this country from this nightmare we are witnessing in our cities and bring about positive, peaceful change. The Republicans have stories to tell, and they're telling them very well, and they're going to resonate with swing voters in swing states. And the Democrats are going to lose unless they can understand that siding with the rioters is a bad thing and saying they support protests but not riots in the mind of most Americans says they actually support the riots. They, they've got to figure that out if they want to win. And, and you know, I, I, I suspect they're not going to be able to figure it out because in large part they really do think they're winning. They, they, they see the polls narrowing, but they still think Joe Biden is ahead by enough. And they're falling for a mistake all of uh, many of us, myself included, fell for in 2016. They're looking at national polling. They're not looking at swing state polling. And the swing state polling is drawing close. The national polling does not matter. The swing state polling matters. And they can't seem to figure that out. Honest news and conservative views. Never separated from the truth. It's the Eric Erickson Show. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 404-87. Nope, that's the wrong number, and it doesn't matter because you can't call in <laughs> today. You'll be able to on Monday. Maybe we'll do an entire day with your reaction. Uh, let, let's continue moving forward on what's happening. Um, I, I, I do want to give you just real quick on the polling so you understand where I'm coming from. And I, and I realize the national polling definitely has a lead for Joe Biden, and it's a better lead for Joe Biden than Hillary Clinton's lead was. You've got to look at the swing states, though. And the Real Clear Politics polling averages in the swing states right now have Donald Trump closer to Joe Biden than to Hillary Clinton. Uh, and I think that matters for a couple of reasons, and, and you need to you need to pay attention here. It used to be that if the polls were within about two to three points, uh, you, you had a good poll for Republicans. Even if the Democrats were ahead by two to three points, you had a good poll for Republicans. Uh, right now, though, e polling has moved to mobile phones, and Republicans more than Democrats are less likely to answer the phone if they don't know who's calling. And they don't know who the pollster is who's calling. And so they don't answer the phone. And so it makes it harder to sample your typical Republican. And the Republicans who get sampled tend to not be very reflective of the Republican base as a whole. And there are still a lot of those people. The question, though, is turnout. And, and this is the thing where Republicans need to be mindful where you can't take anything for granted. If Jill Stein had not run in 2016, Hillary Clinton would have gotten elected president. She would have won the Electoral College. Uh, she would have taken overwhelmingly, disproportionately, the votes from Jill Stein voters. They would not have stayed home. They would have voted. And they would have voted for Clinton. And so Republicans still have a numbers game working against them. 
and you have turnout situations like in Georgia in 2018, more people turned out in 2018 than turned out in uh, in 2016 in some places. I mean, look at Stacey Abrams in 2018. In 2018, Stacey Abrams got more votes than Hillary Clinton. And this sort of stuff matters. This sort of stuff matters significantly because if the Democrats are able to turn out their base and Democrat-persuaded voters at a higher level than the Republicans, they're going to win. That is just obvious, the turnout model. The question right now is, are there more Republicans or Democrats, or, or is the country very split? And my sense is that there actually are more people who would identify themselves as Democrat right now in the country than as Republicans, and more people who would turn out for Joe Biden. But, 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 as the violence continues, some of those people are going to be persuaded to stay home. The question is how many? My suspicion is that uh, Biden is going to have problems. And my suspicion is that the rioting works to the president's advantage. And my suspicion is that the longer the looting and rioting goes on, the more it suppresses voters who would otherwise go with Joe Biden. And it does this because I believe very fundamentally that the Republican ground game coupled with dissatisfaction over the rioting, leaving some people home, is going to create a swell for the Republicans that gets it close but gets it for them and saves them the Senate with the current trajectory of where things are headed. I'm sure by now you've seen the video of the protesters harassing Rand Paul, uh, demanding that he acknowledge the death of Breonna Taylor. Uh, Rand Paul, ironically, is the author of the Justice for Breonna Taylor Act. Uh, they they had absolutely no idea. Um, they just were Democratic activists. Now, my friends, it is time to get into the speech by the President of the United States. I got a bunch of clips to play, and I'm just going to play them. Biden's record is a shameful roll call of the most catastrophic betrayals and blunders in our lifetime. He has spent his entire career on the wrong side of history. Biden voted for the NAFTA disaster, the single worst trade deal ever enacted. He supported China's entry into the World Trade Organization, one of the greatest economic disasters of all time. After those Biden calamities, the United States lost one in four manufacturing jobs. We laid off workers in Michigan, Ohio, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, and many other states they didn't want to hear Biden's hollow words of empathy. They wanted their jobs back. As vice president, he supported the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which would have been a death sentence for the U.S. auto industry. He backed the horrendous South Korea trade deal, which took many jobs from our country and which I've reversed and made a great deal for our country. He repeatedly supported mass amnesty for illegal immigrants. He voted for the Iraq war. He opposed the mission to take out Osama bin Laden. He opposed killing Soleimani. 
He oversaw the rise of ISIS and cheered the rise of China as a positive development for America and the world, some positive development. That's why China supports Joe Biden and desperately wants him to win. I can tell you that upon very good information. <laughs> China would own our country if Joe Biden got elected. Unlike Biden, I will hold them fully accountable for the tragedy that they caused all over the world. We have spent the last four years reversing the damage Joe Biden inflicted over the last 47 years. Biden's record is a shameful roll call of the most catastrophic betrayals and blunders in our lifetime. He has spent in perhaps no area did the Washington special interests try harder to stop us than on my policy of pro-American immigration. But I refuse to back down, and today America's borders are more secure than ever before. Couple more. At the Democrat National Convention, Joe Biden and his party repeatedly assailed America as a land of racial, economic, and social injustice. So tonight I ask you a simple question. How can the Democrat Party ask to lead our country when it spends so much time tearing down our country? That was a good one. At the Democrat National Convention, Joe Biden and his party repeatedly assailed America as a land of racial, economic, and social injustice. So tonight I ask you a simple question. How can the Democrat Party ask to lead our country when it spends so much time tearing down our country? In the left's backward view, they do not see America as the most free, just, and exceptional nation on Earth. Instead, they see a wicked nation that must be punished for its sins. Our opponents say that redemption for you can only come from giving power to them. This is a tired anthem spoken by every repressive movement throughout history. But in this country, we don't look to career politicians for salvation. In America, we don't turn to government to restore our souls. We put our faith in Almighty God. Last one. In recent months, our nation and the entire planet has been struck by a new and powerful invisible enemy. Like those brave Americans before us, we are meeting this challenge. We are delivering life-saving therapies and will produce a vaccine before the end of the year or maybe even sooner. We will defeat the virus, end the pandemic, and emerge stronger than ever before. So let me let me give you my I, I I played the the abridged clips for those of you who couldn't stay awake and, and see the thing. Let me give you my honest take. 
it was too long. I think he lost people. Uh, it started out great, and he had some great moments, but it was long. Now, listen, if you're a Trump supporter, you like it, and the president likes it. The reality is I was talking about this on, on a radio uh, panel this morning before the show started, that the president has not had many live audiences, and he thrives off the live audiences, and he likes to see what works and what doesn't work, and so he's got a bunch of supporters there, 1,500 supporters, uh, who he can almost, uh, to a degree, focus group his lines with. Part of me thinks that's part of the problem for the president is uh, in his ability to stay on message of late is that he hasn't had these large gatherings of people uh, to be able to bounce his lines off of and see what works and doesn't work. And so he's just kind of throwing everything out there. Well, he got his chance last night, and he threw everything, including the kitchen sink, at the audience. The speech went on and on and on and on. And and, oh, I finally decided I had to go to bed. Um, and then I, I got back up, and, and he was just wind, winding up. And I watched the fireworks for a minute. But it, it was it, the speech was too long. Now, I realize if you loved the president, you could hear him speak all night and you would be fine, but it was too long. Thematically, however, uh, you know, I was wrong. I told you yesterday that my suspicion was he would let the vice president be the attack dog and he would look leaderly uh, and that I realized that that contradicted everything the president had ever done, but that they were trying to change things around. Nope, nope, nope. I was totally wrong. He went after Biden, uh, went after Biden hard. I love his lines, and I didn't get any audio of that really, um, of of the of him ridiculing the Democrats' likeness and dark speech. He, he had a great bit. Uh, the dimmer Joe Biden says he's on the side of the light, but he's keeping you in the dark on his agenda. I wonder why. It was a it was a very funny line by the president. Uh, they they really got some digs on the the uh, highfalutin rhetoric of the the Democrats in the uh, the, the circle of light. A uh, speech by the Democrats that Joe Biden says he's on the light uh, on, on the side of the light. Uh, I there was one line I wish they had used. I wish they had used it. Joe Biden says he's on the side of the light, but the only light they're shining is the fire they're throwing into American businesses to burn down. Uh, definitely, I, I think he could have gone in that direction. I I in I just don't think that the media appreciates the bubble that they're in. And you know, I, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm in a bubble, but I I really do think that the, the president's speech was a good speech. It was just too long and it lacked focus. It could have been edited better. He, he needed a speechwriter to help him edit it down. And by the way, he stayed remarkably on the speech. He didn't really ad lib. All that stuff was in there. But going after Biden for, for keeping everybody in the dark, he wants to be on the side of the light while they're burning down uh, America. And he is on the side of the protesters and he won't tell you what his agenda is. And, and here's my agenda. And the president goes on for 77 minutes. The president gave the longest, actually, I take it back. It was the second longest convention speech in American history. The president gave the second longest convention speech in American history. The longest convention speech in American history was his speech four years ago. This was was one minute shorter than his speech four years ago. It went on and on. And then my, my buddy Joe was texting me, and since he just went through Hurricane Louisiana, 
I believe I should talk about this. Were those flags or tribbles? Every time you looked, there were more flags. I mean, it it looked like um, it, it looked like um, I mean the the flags were just they were everywhere. Like Betsy Ross threw up all over the White House lawn. There there were there the, the amount of America. It, it actually was funny. I do have to say. So I was driving home. I had to give a speech last night to the Republican National Lawyers Association in Atlanta. And I drove home and was listening to the speech until I got, and it went so long. Y'all, I drove from Atlanta to Macon and he was still talking. And everyone I, I could see, I, I stopped to get gas. Yes, I, I drove home from Atlanta. I stopped in Locust Grove. Um, I take that back. I wasn't to get gas. It was actually to get a burger because I hadn't eaten all day. Uh, and I, then I drove home and I, I didn't look at my my tweets while I was driving. While I was in the drive-thru getting a burger, I was looking and everybody was talking about the flags. And my buddy Joe was texting me about all the flags. Have you seen all the flags? All the flags. Uh, there are so many flags. And I, by the time I got home, I think there were twice as many flags as when I had started driving. It's like they, they were reproducing like rabbits on the stage. It was It was crazy how many flags there were. But I got to tell you, it was a presidential backdrop. I mean, it looked presidential. They did a great job. The president should be impressed. The president should be proud of what his team pulled off. And the Democrats melting down, just as an aside here, we're in a global pandemic. The very same Democrats and members of the press who are complaining that the president of the United States should not have done this at the White House, that it was inappropriate to do politics at the White House. It's his house. We're in a global pandemic. Where else was he going to go? Your fallback was, well, he could have recorded something like Joe Biden. Yeah, he could have, but he didn't have to. And you know and I know darn well if, Donald, if Barack Obama or if uh, Joe Biden had done that, the same people complaining right now would be totally fine. It'd be the Republicans who are complaining. I mean, I, I suspect in four years, we'll go back to having real conventions and people will be paying attention. And I just, I, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, um, all of the people complaining and, and whining and crying, I just don't think it works. It doesn't serve a purpose. And I just don't think that stuff like this serves a purpose either. This is Mika Brzezinski. There's clear disdain that I have for this president, but look at the facts. Look at how he's worn us down from his paid off porn star to Russia lies to racism in Charlottesville, racism across the board, children in cages. I mean, lie after lie after lie, conspiracy theories. Our country right now is really at a breaking point. If we don't find a way to hold this president accountable with his attempts to undermine the post office and also his apparent negligence, perhaps purposeful, on saving the American people's lives in this pandemic. You are pathetic at this point with his calamitous coronavirus leadership. It's killing Americans every day. He could be keeping people alive. He's choosing not to. Every day, this president looks more ridiculous. The clothes fall off. I mean, Mitch McConnell, wake up. 
Wake up and smell the coffee. Don't you see what's happening? You want to hold on to the set? You're going to have nothing at the rate you're going, at the rate you're letting him go. Can't you see what is happening? I know you have a lot of special interests in your state and maybe money coming in from Russia and interests. Your wife works in the administration. But wake up. It's not about losing the Senate. We're losing much more than the Senate. You can be sure that you will never see me on Fifth Avenue, ever, ever, because he has said he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. I believe him. I, I, uh, and it, it, that's Mika Brzezinski. Um, I know Democrats not along with stuff like that. I don't think most Americans do. And there are a lot of people who don't like the president. There, there are a lot. Of, I don't particularly care for the guy. And I've told him, I, I, I still think character counts. And I don't think he's got very good character. But if my choice is between this president or the guy, the mob that's burning down America wants, I, I'm going with this guy. He'll put us back to work and he'll keep us safe. And that matters. It matters. And you can have these tirades like Mika's tirade. You can have meltdowns. You can. But I, I got to tell you guys, I, I, I increasingly think that the Democrats in their bubble with the media, they're, they're not paying attention to what's happening out there. And you can tell that the Democrats are starting to see it and they're polling because they're coming out more aggressively, but it's almost too little too late. And when they come out, it, it almost sounds very much like they're part of the extortion racket with these protesters that, well, you got to put Joe Biden in there to stop your business from burning down. Americans are going to resent that. They are fundamentally going to resent that. Now, what about the implications in Georgia? I want to spend some time in the next hour talking about that because we we do need to talk about what's going on in Georgia. But we also, man, I got one more audio clip to play for you from from, uh, Don Lemon. And thankfully, Charlie's on vacation, so he didn't have to hear me. Uh, He didn't have to hear it. Philip had to cut it up and... Don Lemon, when Don Lemon is is starting to scream that we got a problem, Democrats, you know the Democrats have a problem. I want to play that when we come back. I really do like his opinion on things. Eric Erickson, the information you need and the truth you demand. He tells it like it is. Live every weekday. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-973. 7425, except uh, you can't call today because, well, the call screener's not here. But that's okay. He'll be back on Monday or else. <laughs> I got to play for you this Don Lemon clip. Um, we, it, it is becoming increasingly obvious there's a problem. Uh, the Democrats know there's a problem, and they just can't figure out how uh, to figure out that problem. Here's Don Lemon. Um, I think it was, I actually thought it was pretty strong, but I think his message would be stronger if he stands in front of a podium mm-hmm. and not uh, in a Zoom thing at his house. I'm mm-hmm. just being honest. If presentation out, matters. Presentation matters to come out and stand in, in, at a podium in D.C. or wherever, even in Wisconsin, yeah. and say, uh, listen, this is, what I, this is what I expected today if they were going to uh, really come out and do the thing right, whether it was going to be Kamala Harris or Joe Biden. Good afternoon, everyone. 
Mm -hmm. I, the rioting has to stop. The violence has to stop. And under a Biden-Harris administration, there will be no lawlessness on the street. Now, you folks who want police reform, especially you young people, we hear you. And we are going to do that under this in this administration. But the people who are out there rioting are not protected by the First Amendment. And they are usurping your power and all of the gains that you have made with your movement. And it's got to stop. I am, if it's Kamala Harris, a former prosecutor. I know when to prosecute, who to, when not to prosecute, who to prosecute, and who not to prosecute from my many years in doing this. And trust me, the folks who are lawless, whether it's people who are burning down businesses or militia people who should not be involved in law enforcement, you will be prosecuted. The protesters who are there doing the right thing, it is your right under the Constitution. Keep doing it. I support you. I didn't hear that. You know, you didn't hear that, and you're not going to hear that, Don. Uh, you're not going to hear it, and that's really part of the problem here is the Democrats shouldn't need to take political advice from Don Lemon on CNN, who's never run for office. They shouldn't need that level of advice. They shouldn't need that opinion. And yet he's having to do it because the Democrats aren't. Don Lemon is starting to panic. And he's not alone among Democrats out there starting to panic. And they should. They, they should be a little bit concerned with what's going on. Uh, they, they should be concerned because even though Joe Biden has a steady lead in the polling, it's starting to be eroded because of the violent streets. And this is the thing Republicans need to understand. Donald Trump has done jack to change the polling. He has not done a thing to change his polling. Despite what you may hear from people who want to hump the president's leg out there, the president really hasn't done anything to change the polling dynamic here. It's all the Democrats throwing away the race. And you as a Republican can rejoice at that, but let's be honest here. Uh, the rioters are the Democrats' uh, worst enemy right now, and yet the Democrats are held hostage by them and think they're their friends. The Democrats have Stockholm Syndrome to the, the rioters out there. And the rest of us should sit back and watch this and kind of laugh. We, we, we should be laughing at this. Uh, they they stoked the flames. They blame Donald Trump for stoking the flames. They're the ones who stoked the flames. They're the ones who are calling for, for protests across the country. They were the ones um, calling for demonstrations. They were the ones who encouraged it on day one of the Trump administration. And they've caught this tiger by the tail, and they are afraid to let go. And they need to let go and reset. Uh, Biden needs his sister soldier moment. I don't think he's going to get it. It's going to be a problem. When we come back, though, what about Georgia? Let's talk about Georgia. Hello, America. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, is irrelevant because you can't call in today. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Let's just skip that, and, and we can move on to what's happening. Uh, a, this I just got this video. Let me play for you this video. This is John Ossoff, the Democratic Senate candidate against David Perdue. Listen to John Ossoff. We need to send a message this year. We need to send a message that if you indulge this kind of politics, you're not just going to get beaten. You're going to get beaten so bad you can never run or show your face again in public. Because we have had enough 
absolutely enough of what we are getting from Donald Trump and his fellow travelers right now. That's right. You get this? Um, if, if you don't support John Ossoff, uh, you need to never show your face again in public. They need to make sure that you never show your face again in public. Um, I, I, I got to tell you, um, I don't think this rhetoric is going to help the Democrats. It's like Lucy McBath uh, in the uh, 6th Congressional District is running as a gun control candidate at a time that even uh, overwhelmingly black Americans are buying guns. I, I don't think that this works for the Democrats in the way they presume. I, I don't think it works for the Democrats at all. And yet they're doing it. Now, how does this play out in Georgia? And for those of you watching nationally online or you're listening to live stream or, or somewhere, uh, you're just going to have to bear with me here because I, I live in Georgia. All my affiliates are in Georgia for now. And I want to I want to spend a moment here. The Democrats have a number of problems in Georgia, although turnout is is key. And, you know, so I learned that the Trump campaign has hired, put on the payroll virtually every college Republican in the state to do phone banking and door-to-door and grassroots mobilization. And oftentimes what they're doing is is they're going door-to-door in neighborhoods and they're not knocking on doors. They're putting out literature flying under the radar. And they're organizing doing phone banking for Republican candidates. Uh, they, they can't go knock on a door, so they're at least calling on the phone. Now, in some some neighborhoods, they are going door to door. And they're going door to door because they're in neighborhoods where voters are more skeptical of the virus. I was actually talking to a Republican candidate last night who said he had some people who went and knocked on doors and they had to stop because they were knocking on solidly Republican doors and uh, the Republicans whose doors they were knocking on were telling them to get off their property that they were endangering their families by being there. And so it depends on the area where you are, but it matters. That sort of stuff actually matters. That sort of stuff is, is having an impact. And in having an impact and doing that sort of stuff, the thing that we're seeing uh, nationally and locally here in Georgia is that ground game matters tremendously. Stacey Abrams uh, has been working very hard with Fair Fight Georgia and the like to mobilize people. But the Republicans after 2018 realized they had a problem and they needed to fix it in Georgia. To understand where Republicans are being so aggressive in ground game this year, you need to understand how they weren't in 2018. In 2018, Republicans in the state of Georgia outsourced their door-knocking effort to the National Republican Party. The RNC committed to doing the ground game in Georgia. Now, I've heard this from candidates. I've heard this from elected officials. I have heard this from uh, party officials. And I know the organization that got the contract from the GOP to do the door knocking. And all of them tell me the same thing. The nationally, the Republicans said, hey, don't worry about the suburbs. We'll take care of the suburbs. Y'all work with Brian Kemp and focus on the rural parts of the state. We'll take care of the metro Atlanta area. So Governor Kemp 
and his team worked on every part of the state except the Atlanta area and its suburbs. And the RNC said they would do it. And they hired a door-knocking team to come in and do it. And then they never paid them to come do it. They never executed. Now, again, I, I realize that nationally the Republicans deny this. I have heard this from candidates for office. I have heard this from Republican Party officials. I have heard this from the organization that was hired to do the door knocking. I have heard this from elected officials that the Republicans uh, nationally did not come in and do the door knocking. And so the result this time is that even the RNC has been shut out of the process and the Trump campaign itself is doing it. And the Trump campaign is leaving uh, no no rock unturned. They are looking under every rock for every voter possible to maximize turnout in Georgia. They have hired college Republicans to phone bank, to go door to door in areas where they can't go door to door, to drop off literature, to do mail, uh, to do everything possible to get people to turn out. And it's a, they're doing a remarkable operation. I, I know what they're doing in Georgia. And they're, they're swarming the suburbs right now. And here's the thing. Joe Biden's team's not there. And Stacey Abrams' team is not there. Now, anecdotes, not evidence here. There are places where Stacey Abrams' team and the Democrats are showing up. There are. But by and large, those areas are pre-existing Democrat areas. They're not going into swing areas right now. Now, I suspect they will. They've still got time to do it. But they haven't yet. And the Trump team is on their second round. Now, again, there's the other thing. Here's what you need to know if you're listening to this program. You're thinking, well, nobody showed up at my house. Nobody's called me. Well, one, they might have called you and you didn't answer it because you didn't recognize the number. But two, if they can see that you've been giving money to Trump and that you voted in the last couple of presidential elections, they're not wasting their time with you. Let me explain again how this works because I think people don't realize this. Campaigns can buy voter files from the secretaries of state of the various states. Those voter files do not tell you who someone voted for, but they can allow you to speculate on who that person voted for. So, for example, you get a voter file in Georgia and you see that uh, voter Bob has voted in every Republican primary and every general election for the past decade. I'll give you one guess who Bob's going to vote for in November. Or voter Sally has voted in every Democratic primary and has voted in every general election. I'll, I'll give you one guess as to who she's going to vote for. Then there are the people who we see them vote in Democratic primaries in odd-numbered years. And no, Democratic primaries in even numbered years and or in presidential election years, I should say, and Republican primaries in the off years. And they vote in the general election. Now, who is that person? Well, the odds are that person, given the way a lot of Georgia works, it depends on where they live. And if they're voting in Democratic primaries in presidential election years, but they're voting in Republican primaries in non-presidential election years, well, in Georgia, the gubernatorial race is always in a non-election year, and most of the uh, local races are in presidential election years. And so that would suggest someone who's having to vote in a Democratic primary to deal with local races, but otherwise is Republican. 
And in the same way, if you see someone who is voting in the uh, in, in a Democratic primary or in a Republican primary, but then votes in in non-election years or non-presidential election years in the Republican or in the Democratic race, that's probably a Democrat who's living in a in an area like uh, Forsyth County, which is heavily Republican. So on the years where you got to pick the DA and the sheriff, they got to vote in the Republican race to find the person closest to the Democratic Party. And then in the years where you've got a Georgia gubernatorial race, they're engaging in the Democratic Party. You can find this down to the presidential preference. So so well, let's let's pop quiz. Pop quiz time. You get a voter file from the Georgia Secretary of State. And the voter has voted in the Democratic presidential preference primary, has voted in the general Republican primary in a presidential election year, votes in the general election, and in non-presidential years, votes in the Democratic primary in Georgia. Is that person a Republican or a Democrat? They voted in the Democratic presidential preference. They voted in the general Republican primary. And in non-presidential years, they vote in the Democratic primary. Is that person a Republican or Democrat? The odds are that is a Democrat who lives in a Republican area. And so in years where you've got sheriff and DA in partisan races and they live in a Republican area, they want the person who's most Democrat, they got to go vote for him. But otherwise, they're voting for the Democratic gubernatorial candidate in their primary and they're voting for the Democratic presidential candidate. Now, you've got someone who only votes in the general election. They never show up for primaries. They don't participate in runoffs. They only show up in the general election. Is that person a Republican or a Democrat? You have no idea. So what you have to do is you got to go out and buy other files. We know that we know the person's name. Let, let, let's call the, the person's name um, Michael Smith. We know that Michael Smith only votes in the general election. Let's build a profile of Michael Smith. Michael Smith lives, let's say he lives in Habersham County. Michael Smith lives in Habersham County. You've got the Secretary of State's file. He only votes in the general election. Well, you buy marketing files. And, and what do we know about Michael Smith? Well, we know that Michael Smith, it turns out, he's in the NRA mail file. He's given money to the NRA. We know that Michael Smith uh, tends on, you, you get his uh, Facebook advertising profile. And you know that Michael Smith buys a lot of outdoor gear. You know that, that he's a hunter. You know that he likes uh, Rand Paul on, on social media. You you know that he has given money to Rand Paul's campaign. The best. Well, Michael Smith is probably a, a libertarian-leaning candidate uh, who doesn't really like either party. So how do you target Michael Smith? Well, you send him material about pro-hunting and conservation, and you try to get Rand Paul's endorsement, and you you, you do that. that. That's what you do. You've got to be smart about how you identify voters. you got to be able to micro-target voters. Now, micro-targeting voters, ironically, has made the country probably um, more, uh, more uh, divided than in the past. But you can mobilize those voters. Let's say you're a Republican and you're running in Floyd County. And you find a voter. The voter is a man. but And the voter doesn't vote in primaries. And you pull that voter's file. And it turns out that that man has given money to Planned Parenthood. And it turns out that that voter uh, went to the Ivy League. The odds are that that guy who lives in Floyd County... 
but gave money to Planned Parenthood, went to the Ivy League, is probably a Democrat. And you don't want to make any contact with that voter because you the other side may not. And there's no reason for you to make contact with that voter because you don't want them to accidentally turn out against you. There are ways to run for office and, and do voter outreach. Now, I, I say all that to say this is what the campaigns are supposed to be doing, and it's what the, the Republicans failed to do in 2018 in Georgia. They learned their lesson. It's what the president's campaign is doing, and this is the big thing you need to understand here. The Biden campaign in Georgia is only just now starting to do that work. The Biden campaign in Georgia is behind, and they thought they could rely on the Democrats of the state, but the Democrats of the state relied on Stacey Abrams. And they're having issues there. And the Biden team, you need to know, does not like Stacey Abrams. I know Democrats who have talked to him, and I myself have talked to him. The Democrats who work for Joe Biden do not like Stacey Abrams at this point. They think that she was a grandstander, and she was trying to maneuver her way onto the ticket. They resent the way she did it, and she was not an option. And there is some bad blood there. Abrams needs Donald Trump to get elected at this point, frankly, to help her in 2022. The odds are if Biden gets elected, then Abrams can't win in 2022. There will be a voter backlash to the Democrats. She needs, Stacey Abrams at this point needs Donald Trump to get elected if she's going to become governor in 2022. There are There's suspicion there on the Democratic side. The Biden campaign has been uh, less effective in building an operation in Georgia. The Republicans have been doing it now for a year in Georgia. The Trump team has taken over the operation, and they are committed to mobilizing voters in the 6th and 7th congressional districts to not only help those uh, be Republican districts, but to maximize the president's suburban turnout. The Republicans know they have a problem in the suburbs, and they are working overtime to generate votes in the suburbs, and that's actually good for Rich McCormick and Karen Handel in the 7th and the 6th. It is good for them because the Trump team needs their voters to turn out for them so that those voters will also vote for Donald Trump. And the Biden team is behind across the board on this stuff. Georgia's going to matter in 2020, just not as much as the Democrats had hoped. As both sides target Georgia for 2020, Eric gives you the news you need from a Georgia perspective. I I got to wonder here, I, I, a level of, of just speculation on my part. If Donald Trump wins again, do the people who say they were going to move, do they actually move? I, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm cautious in saying this. I'm cautious in saying this. But I think that if the president were to win re-election, and I, I think if the election were held today for the first time, the president would win, and, and this is this is in flux. I mean, the edge is still to Joe Biden, but if it were if it, if the election happened right now, I think Donald Trump would win. And this isn't in response to the conventions. This is in response to uh, the violence and rioting that's happening out there, and the fact that the Democrats have uh, done a very anemic job of addressing it. I think the president does have an electoral college advantage right now, even if he doesn't have uh, popular support in the country. But I I I really think that if the president wins again. 
there will be a level of despondency on the left. And in addition to a level of despondency on the left, there will be a level of violence. There will be more rioting in the streets. And then I think a lot of people will probably pack up and leave. There will be, if if Donald Trump wins a second term, there will be a lot of people on the American political left who really do believe that the country is, is irredeemable, is a racist nation. I mean, they say it right now, but they're saying it in a way that suggests that they're really hoping they're they're really hoping that people will turn back to the Democrats. They're they're saying it in such a way to try to persuade people to repent and return to the Democratic fold. And if people don't, if people reject that message, if people stay with Donald Trump, I I think you're going to see one uh, a backlash of violence to the election, and then I think you're going to see people walk away from the country on the left. You'll finally see some of the Hollywood stars pack up and leave. I do think you will. I think they'll be wrong, but I I think they'll be fed up and frustrated. It is increasingly clear that there are people in this country on the left who have a very negative opinion of people not like themselves, a, a bitter opinion of people like themselves. And if they lose, it will confirm in their mind. I mean, the left is internalized, and this is the thing. Um, the left has internalized this idea that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy and can't see the irony in defending looters burning down stores across America. And they say, oh, well, we're really not. But no, there are actually prominent Democrats out there saying, well, burning down a business isn't violent because they have insurance to rebuild. There are Democratic politicians who have said this, not just activists. And I, I do find it hysterical and, and hypocritical that on both sides now, you've got both sides say, well, if you don't follow the law, you got a problem. I mean, uh, Republicans who have demanded that illegal immigrants uh, follow the law or else are, are saying, yeah, this Hatch Act stuff, no big deal. And frankly, it really isn't a big deal. It, it isn't a big deal. People don't care about it. But if you're all about law and order, you should be about law and order. The Democrats, meanwhile are screaming that the president broke the law, the Hatch Act, the Hatch Act, the Hatch Act. And you've got 600 people, activists have come forward, uh, or or you've got Democratic politicians are coming forward saying in Atlanta, the 600 people charged with crimes for rioting, don't, don't charge them with crimes, don't prosecute them. The law, the Hatch Act matters to these people, but actually destroying businesses doesn't. There's a level, a, a collapse of intellectual honesty on both sides. But I really, I just, I genuinely, truly do believe that if Donald Trump is able to pull off this election, that you are going to see Democrats react violently in the streets and then pack up and leave, uh, burn stuff down on their way out the door. I I just, I'm increasingly thinking that's going to happen, unfortunately, but that's where we are as a country right now. I got to read for you this, this uh, Babylon B headline. Uh, headline, uh, Babylon B, of course, the, 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 the humorous site that's like the onion, but actually funny, <laughs> powerful protesters spell out love with burning homes and businesses. <laughs> it's a 
seen from an airplane looking down as 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 a city burns with the word love spelled out in flames that that's kind of what's going on uh in some of these places and it's kind of why the uh why the the people are so upset and and moving rapidly towards the president on this stuff um it is it's Yo, I, I just see in people like so Ron Fournier, who I I know he was the head editor of the Associated Press for a while. Um, he's out there calling Rand Paul a bedwetting snowflake for Rand Paul complaining about the you know Rand Paul w- w- was beaten badly by his next door neighbor, and the protesters last night were harassing. Rand Paul uh, threatening violence against him and his wife. They had to have police protection walking out of the White House. And Ron Fournier is attacking him as a bedwetting state. He's just been been broken. So many people have been broken by the politics of the age. I, I mean, the, the, the path forward for people here is to not lose your sense of grace to other people, even when you disagree with them politically in this country. And unfortunately, there are a whole lot of people in the country that are completely losing their their grace for example so ivanka trump last night told the story of her child building the the lego white house set and there are reporters attacking her today for that statement saying it can't be true it's not true one reporter for propublica put in a fact checking request with the white house to see if it was true uh they've released pictures of the the lego white house uh sitting behind the president's desk on his credenza and yet they're they're attacking Ivanka Trump for saying it and, and the president for saying it. It's just this this is is really just just insanity. At this point, it's insane. At this point, the Democrats really have just broken themselves in some way. And a lot of people's souls are broken over politics right now. And that's sad. Speaking of Ivanka Trump, listen to the soundbite. My father has strong convictions. He knows what he believes, and he says what he thinks. Whether you agree with him or not, you always know where he stands. I recognize that my dad's communication style is not to everyone's taste, and I know that his tweets can feel a bit unfiltered. But the results, the results speak for themselves. He is so unapologetic about his beliefs that he has caused me and countless Americans to take a hard look at our own convictions and ask ourselves, what do we stand for? What kind of America do we want to leave for our children? I am more certain than ever before we want a future where our kids can believe in American greatness. We want a society where every child can live in a safe community and go to a great school of their choice. We want a culture where differences of opinion and debate are encouraged, not canceled, where law enforcement is respected, where our country's rich diversity is celebrated, and where people of all backgrounds, races, genders, and creeds have the chance to achieve their God-given potential. This is the future my father is working to build each and every day. I I I gotta I I gotta tell you, um, 
the level of hate for her from the media, the, the level of hate for the Trumps in general, there's just something not right in the press these days. And it's it's report. It's not just Democrats. It's members of the press holding these people in contempt. You know, the president actually is right about all of the negative press he's got. Now, you can say he's earned it. You can say he deserves it. But the problem here is, is the boy who cried wolf. You, you know, the old Aesop's fable. A boy is tending the tending the pasture, watching the sheep. He gets bored. He runs into town and says, a wolf, a wolf. And the town runs out to help him. And uh, there is no wolf. And he starts laughing at him. And later in the day, he's bored again. And he does again, a wolf, a wolf. And and the town members are, grab their, their pitchforks and torches and run out to deal with the, the wolf. And there is no wolf. And the boy laughs at him. Well, late in the evening, as the sun is beginning to set, the boy is tired and the sheep are tired. Along comes a wolf, and the wolf is very hungry, and the wolf sees the sheep, and the little boy runs screaming and crying, a wolf, a wolf, a wolf, there really is a wolf, there really is a wolf this time, I promise, I promise, and nobody believes him, and the wolf gets the sheep. That story is indicative of where the Democrats are right now. Remember in 2016, Bill Maher uh, on HBO's Real Time actually came out with one of his monologues and said, listen, I realize that we have said for years Republicans were racist, Republicans were awful, Republicans were terrible, Republicans would get us all killed. This time, we really mean it. And guess what? Um, That is where we are. Nobody in America at this point is tuning into the Democratic complaints. Will Kane, uh, who was at ESPN for a while, he he was not politically correct. He's now the uh, Fox and Friends weekend host. Uh, Will Will Kane tweeted. Uh, Bill Ben Shapiro said all they had to do was not be crazy, and Will Kane replied back. Uh, and all the Falcons had to do was run the ball. We're watching the political equivalent of the Patriots coming back from down twenty eight to three. That is exactly where we are. The Democrats just had to not be crazy. All they had to do was support common sense, law and order, and they can't even bring themselves to do that. Joe Biden has the advantage, and he could win this thing. And I I just, I'm, I'm, I don't see that this is going to, help them. I I just don't understand the democratic messaging except for this. Here's my hypothesis. My hypothesis of where we are right now in the race is that it, it should still be Joe Biden's to lose and right now he's starting to lose it. If it, the election were held today, Donald Trump would have an electoral college advantage, he would lose the popular vote, he would win the electoral college. And a lot of this has to do with the bubble. And you need to understand the bubble. Recall, if you will, that one of the chief criticisms of Kamala Harris and also Elizabeth Warren is that they were too focused in their campaigns on what people on social media were saying. Democrats tend to spend an inordinate amount of time, as do members of the media, spend an inordinate amount of time on social media, seeing what people on social media think. And the issues on social media are the issues that they think resonate with people. It's like a mini focus group for them. The problem is we know that uh, demographically, social media, particularly Twitter, really isn't representative of the country. It's just not. 
And so you you follow along on Twitter and you find issues you think resonate on Twitter and they do not often always represent people. But then they become reflective in the media because so much of the media is there. And they become reflective of democratic thought. And they get into a feedback loop where they're self-congratulatory, among other things. And they can't recognize that most people don't care or don't see the world that way. And I think the Democrats are trapped in that bubble right now. Every political side can get trapped in a bubble. Republicans, you know, look at Republicans in the Seth Rich thing. A segment of the Republican base was convinced that that poor kid uh, was killed in some sort of conspiracy, and it made its way to Fox and was reinforced on Fox. There's a lawsuit right now, and Fox will wind up paying damages if they have it already uh, because of what they did, pushing a conspiracy about this kid that wasn't true. But there was a, a, a feedback loop inside their bubble that this conspiracy theory nonsense was true. It's very much like the QAnon people. They, they get on their webs, their QAnon websites. People are stringing things together. And, they, well, it must be true. They don't believe the media. They believe themselves. There's a level of Gnosticism. They have an inside truth. They become arrogant about it. And, and you can't pierce the bubble. You can't penetrate. With the media and the Democrats, you can't penetrate the bubble right now because the bubble is reinforced by their presuppositions on the country. Democratic presuppositions are in fact that we are a racist nation. The media presuppositions of the country are the same. We are a racist nation. And and the 1619 Project reinforces that, even though What's-Her-Name, who wrote it, has come out and said it wasn't meant to be history. It really is supposed to be narrative. The media only cares about narrative. They don't care about facts. And so these things get regurgitated and recirculated. And, and so, for example, like right now, we're in this weird conundrum. Pay attention to this one, please. We are in a weird conundrum where the American media and the Democrats want you to understand and appreciate that the violence and rioting are isolated incidents and is not common. But the uncommon police incidents of gunning down black men are somehow supposed to be disproportionately high when actually the data shows it's not. And I realize if you're a Democrat right now, if you're an activist, you, you, you're enraged that I would suggest it's not common, but it's not. And it may be more common than we thought now that we have cell phones and everything else, but, but it's not a daily occurrence. And you would think from listening to the left that it is because that's the way the left perceives America. The left in this country doesn't perceive America the way most Americans perceive America. And their their changed perception within this bubble is a perception that the media shares because the media is in the bubble with them. And they reinforce and reiterate to each other that these things are so when they're not so. And that causes problems. And it allows them to orchestrate an entire convention around the idea of uh, America is a flawed nation and bad and Joe Biden is the light, and President Trump and his supporters are the darkness, and you're either on the side of the light or the darkness, and pick a side, good or evil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that is bad. I think that is wrong. And I think that the Democrats are hurting themselves by it. 
there is there, there's just not a uh, there's not a real world appreciation for American concerns. You know what Americans are concerned about right now? Americans are concerned about getting their kids back to school. What happens if they can't get their kids back to school? And will there be football? And is my house going to be one of the ones that burns down? If you can address those things, you can connect with the American public. And if you can't, you're not going to connect with the American public. And right now, Democrats are having a hard time connecting with the American public because of these things. I'm not speaking on a turn here. This is this is known. I mean, you have the upper echelons of Democratic strategists now beginning to, to grumble publicly that they've got to do more on the violence and the riots and the rioters are hurting the Democrats' chances. And they're telling the truth, by the way. They're, they're telling the God's honest truth. It is hurting the Democrats' chances of getting reelected. And there's nothing they can do about it. If, if the rioters now stop because the Democrats say stop, well, then it looks like the Democrats could have done it sooner. I, I wrote today, I said today, I've never said it before, I've never thought it before. If the election were held today, Donald Trump could win. And I still think Joe Biden fundamentally has advantages over Donald Trump. I, I, I do. I mean, I think when we get to November, you're still going to see a, a highly competitive race where the Democrats have a slight advantage. Because I think this stuff will probably start to fade. And, and America's memory uh, is very fickle. It's why Americans are no longer as concerned about the virus as they once were. Uh, it's why the virus is fading. But if it becomes an economic argument, and if the rioting doesn't go away, I I think it, it sustains momentum for Donald Trump. Listen, one thing the polling has been consistent about for a while now is that voters believe Donald Trump would be better with the economy than, than Joe Biden. And if people tune out concerns over the virus because they think it's overplayed in the media, they're going to start focusing on the economy again, and that helps the president. Democrats have a very tough path moving forward because they failed at their convention to address key themes, let alone talk about any of the policies they want. They spent their entire convention on Donald Trump sucks, Joe Biden's nice, vote for him. Well, you know what? Americans already don't think highly of Donald Trump, but they think very highly of their 401k. And they'll leave a guy in office that they don't personally like if they think he's doing a good job for their 401k. Americans did not like Bill Clinton, but they left him in power because they thought he was good for the economy. They'll do the same with Donald Trump. That's just how it works in America with American politics. Don't forget that or you fall into a bubble. Well-connected and well-respected. It's Eric Erickson, live every weekday. You know, Matthew Cottonetti uh, makes a great point. Do you know a word that was never mentioned at the Democratic Convention? I shouldn't say it was never. No, 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 nope. That that that's that's confirmed now. Uh, Joe Pounder confirms it. Joe Pounder uh, is the CEO of America Rising. You, you know something that the Democrats never mentioned at the Democratic Convention that the Republicans mentioned frequently? Impeachment. Yeah, not only did the Democrats not talk about law and order and the riots, they didn't talk about impeachment. Why Why is that, do you presume? That the Democrats didn't talk, maybe it, the politics of impeachment didn't actually work in their direction, and you would never know that from the media. The fact that the Democrats never mentioned impeachment is a telling sign that uh, they realized there's problems with the bubble. 
because they made a big deal about impeachment and they said it would come back and and they said they would remind everyone the president was impeached and they didn't mention it at the convention. The Republicans mentioned it at the convention. That's actually pretty staggering. You know what else? Uh, Donald Trump mentioned Joe Biden more than 30 times. No, 40 times. More than 40 times. Donald Trump mentioned Joe Biden 40 times in his speech. Biden mentioned Trump zero times in his speech. You you learn a lot about the conventions by what was said and what was not said. And you, you learn a lot that the messaging that the Democrats thought they would have, they don't have. And the messaging the Republicans thought they would have, they, they, nobody saw law and order as an issue. Again, if you look at the Pew poll from 15, 2015, 16, 17, 18, and 19, uh, crime is not a top 15 issue. And now it's the number five issue. The campaign plans were put in place before cities started burning. The Republicans have adapted by necessity because they're running behind. They've been on defense. They've been looking for a way to get on offense. And suddenly they found it. And the Democrats are suddenly caught flat-footed on this issue. The Democrats adapted to the virus. But the virus, the concerns about the virus, if you will, in, in, in the parlance of politicians and politicos, peaked too soon. And it's starting to fade, right as issues concerning crime and violence in the country have started to go up. And because it's happening in Democratic cities, the Democrats, Joe Biden himself has said, this is Donald Trump's America. Well, it may be Donald Trump's America, but it's the Democratic cities it's happening in. It's not Republican-controlled areas of the country that are having violence problems. It's the Democrats. And, and people can see the Democrats turning a blind eye to the stuff. And that's a problem for the Democrats. And they don't understand it. They don't recognize it. And if they can't get a clue soon, they're going to lose. Now, I've gotten an angry email from someone who tells me it sounds like I want the Democrats to win and and I need to shut up and stop telling them the stuff. Y'all, my job here is to analyze what's going on here. It, it, it's not to, to take a partisan side. I'm a partisan. I'm a conservative. I'm supporting Donald Trump. But I can also, I'm capable of playing the straight and telling you what's going on in America right now. And what is going on in America right now is that the Democrats are beginning to lose. And unless they get a clue, they're going to lose because they're all, they, they find themselves in a bubble that is impossible to translate into middle America at this moment. They are losing middle America. They are beginning to lose senior citizens who don't like Donald Trump but are scared that their hometowns are going to burn. Fear has a way of driving people into the arms of people who some may not like. And the media doesn't like Donald Trump, but fear is driving a lot of Americans into his arms. Y'all, this hour is sponsored by First Liberty Building and Loan here in Georgia. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. If you have a business... And you need a loan, you need capital, you want to grow, or you're just trying to hang on through this pandemic, go to firstlibertyga.com. Talk to the Frost family. They've been doing this since the 1990s. They want to help businesses grow. They want to keep you stable and safe. They make their own decisions. They don't have a bank bureaucracy. Firstlibertyga.com. Have a great weekend.